Looking back on my educational career, the one thing that I despised the most were tests. Anybody with me on that? Oh, man. Why did all of those mean teachers have to give all those tests? And I know, I know some of you are teachers, and we love you, and we appreciate you so very much. But at the same time, we, we have issues with you. <laughs> Primarily because of all of those tests. I actually came across a list of um, some, some answers, some what I thought were pretty funny answers on some tests that uh, some kids put down. Those of you who are teachers especially, I'm sure will appreciate this. I, I, I wish I would have done more of this in my educational career. Maybe I would have, I don't know, passed more tests if I just would have been a little more humorous. Uh, one, <laughs> one kid was given the question, uh, this seemed to be like a history class, what ended in 1896? The young man wrote down 1895. How do you mark that wrong? <laughs> there was a math test, uh, had pictures of all these quadrilateral things. Question or whatever said, name the quadrilateral. Then it had like a square, rectangle, other shapes on there that I'm not familiar with. <laughs> name the quadrilateral, all these spaces next to the pictures. One kid wrote down, Bob, Sam, Kate, <laughs> again, makes perfect sense to me. Uh, one question, another test, briefly explain what hard water is. Student wrote down, ice. <laughs> makes total sense to me. Uh, one student, I love the candor here. Uh, I earn money at home by fill in the blank. Student wrote down, I don't, I'm a freeloader. <laughs> Appreciate the honesty, right? Uh, this is one of my favorites. Uh, back to history, the question on the test, where was the Declaration of Independence signed? The student answered, at the bottom. <laughs> uh, this one's kind of cute. What is the highest frequency noise that a human can register? A student wrote down, Mariah Carey. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay, uh, let's go to science. The first cells were probably, fill in the blank, student wrote, lonely. <laughs> the first cells were probably lonely. I like that. Last one, moms, this one's for you. Explain the phrase, free press. Okay, government class, explain the phrase free press. A student wrote, when your mom irons your shirt for you. <laughs> That's true. That's a free press, right? That's a free press. So no doubt you've uh, had your fair share of tests coming through school. Those of you who are teachers, I'm sure you've seen your fair share of funny answers or wrong answers, but all of us in life have no doubt taken our fair share of tests. And as much as some of us abhor them, the reality is, if we didn't have tests, we probably would lose our incentive to study. Now, not all of us, because some of you are overachievers and some of you 
didn't have any friends, and some of you didn't have anything you enjoyed doing in school, so you just studied all the time, okay? I know that you would have made great grades no matter what, okay? But for the rest of us who were uh, academically challenged, okay, like the reality is the tests, the quizzes were good for us because can you imagine like at the beginning of a school year, your teacher getting up and saying, now listen, we're going to go through a lot of subject matter this year. Now I'm not going to test you on any of it, but I really am going to strongly encourage you to study. Right? Like what if your teacher told you up front, you're not going to be tested, there's not going to be any quizzes, there's not going to be any exams, but, but, but uh, you're going to need to study all of this. Well, I mean, I don't know that I would have studied at all. It's the quizzes, it's the test, it's the pop quizzes, you know, when you show up on Monday morning after Thanksgiving break. Now that is just a mean teacher right there. That is just a mean teacher. It's those exams, those quizzes that give you the incentive to study and learn. You see, that accountability is, is actually good for you. And you may not like the test itself, but no doubt the process of having tests is, is good for you. You probably wouldn't study, learn, grow without them. And, and we're coming to a close today. In evaluating Abraham's life, one of our heroes of the faith, one of the most important figures in human history. And, you know, what we've seen over the past several weeks, if you're here for the first time, we're so happy to have you with us here at our Brandon campus. Those of you who are joining us online, we're so glad you're here. And we, we've been looking at Abraham. Today's kind of the last week of this. It's actually a good, good week to kind of get the summary. And, and what we've seen throughout Abraham's life is that God has routinely tested his faith. He has been through a series of quizzes, a series of exams. God gave him a promise at the beginning of the school year. God gave him a profound promise, by the way, a promise that is still in force today. Okay, that's how profound that promise was that God gave to Abraham. God said to him, I'm going to raise up from your family descendants that literally will be too numerous to count and that will prove to be a blessing to all the peoples on the earth. And that promise is still in force today. And so God gave Abraham this massive promise, right? He told him at the beginning of the school year, if you will, like, hey, this is some amazing stuff I'm going to do through you. And it's all going to hinge on a son, a son with your wife, Sarah. And through that promised son, I'm going to do some amazing things. Well, of course, Abraham set out on this faith journey and... um, Man, God took him to school. And he had different exams and quizzes, and some of those he failed. And some of those he passed. And today we come to the end of his faith education, and we see there is one last final exam in front of him. And what I want to show you today is that all the exams and all the tests serve to grow your faith. All of the exams and all of the quizzes that Abraham endured, those that he passed and those that he failed, built off of one another to where now 
At the end of his faith journey, he's going to have one last major exam. And it's the accumulation of everything that God has taught him up to that point in his life. And I'm happy to report that he passes. We find it in Genesis 22. If you have a copy of God's word, go ahead and open up Genesis 22. If, if you came today and you don't have a hard copy of God's word with you, or you don't have something on your phone, your tablet, I'll have these verses on the screen for you. But I want to show you here this, this major exam that Abraham passes and its implications for you and me, especially this week leading up to Easter, this very special day, Palm Sunday. I, I want to show you what God does in Abraham's life through this final exam. Here's what the scripture tells us, Genesis 22, sometime later. All right, now there's a lot in that statement. I mean, now we're talking about all of these quizzes and exams. We're talking about now the birth of his promised son. Remember, Abraham was 100 years old when his son was finally born to him. That's pretty messed up. And, and uh, we, we looked last week at all the dynamics surrounding that, and, 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 and yet God was faithful. And so now sometime later, I believe many years have passed from Isaac's birth, the son of the promise. Look at this. God tested Abraham's faith. Yet again, God's going to test his faith to grow his faith and ensure that his faith is where it needs to be so that God can do what he needs to do. And so sometime later, toward the end of his life now, God's going to test Abraham's faith one more time. God says, this would have been, by the way, through Jesus, okay? All of these appearances to Abraham in the Old Testament are really a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus, the voice of Jesus. Abraham he says, yes, Abraham replies, here I am. Now look at this, final exam. The Lord says, take your son, your only son. Some of you are thinking back to the son I, uh, Abraham had with Hagar, but no, this is the only son of the promise. This is the only son through whom the promise will be fulfilled. No, this is the son, Isaac, given to Abraham and Sarah together, the only one with Abraham and Sarah. This is the only son of the promise. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so very much, and go to the land of Moriah and go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. And so the next morning, Abraham got up early and he saddled his donkey and he took two of his servants with him along with his son, Isaac. And then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and he set out for the place that God had told him about. And on the third day of their journey, by the way, that's uh, important. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in a distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little further. The word boy there, by the way, is not a, the, the Hebrew word for a young child. It's the Hebrew word for a young man. Now, let me pause you. Can I just blow your mind here for a second? Isaac was not four years old. He was probably not six years old. He was probably not 10 years old. Now, we don't know how old, but it's more likely that Isaac was a young man than a young boy. And so Abraham's faith here is so profound that it's a faith that has been passed on to Isaac. And Isaac 
is a willing participant in what's about to happen. Now, is that not an amazing thought? A four-year-old could not have carried the wood for the sacrifice. We're going to see that here in a second. All the way up this hill. And the word used here for boy is often used in the Old Testament really for a young man, a single man, someone who is older than just a toddler or an adolescent, all right? And so however old Isaac was, he was old enough to understand what was happening. And so the boy and I, Abraham says, will travel a little farther and we will worship there and then we will come right back. And so Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, we have the fire and the wood, but where is the sheep? Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Where's the lamb? And Abraham says, God will provide the lamb. He'll provide the sheep for the burnt offering, my son. And so they both walked on together. And when they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. And he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And when he tied him there, listen to me, he tied him there with Isaac's cooperation. Abraham here is 110, 115, 120. I'm going to go out on a limb and say he didn't possess the strength to hold Isaac down. There's a lot happening here that many people miss. Abraham's faith evidence really even in his son Isaac. And so he ties him on the altar on top of the wood. And then verse 10, one of the most sobering verses in all of the Bible. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. Here's what that verse of scripture means. He raised the knife to bring it down. Now I can't imagine a father in that moment, I can't imagine a father getting up early three days prior and traveling with your only son, the son of the promise, knowing what was about to happen. But Abraham does it. And so there are a couple things that are, are of such significance today. I, I want to make sure you understand the gravity of them. And they're, they're the accumulation of this faith journey we've been looking at for the past several weeks. All right. First of all, just take this down. Listen, a persevering faith is an imperfect faith. And we talked about this some last week. I want to emphasize it again because this is so very important. Abraham's persevering faith was an imperfect faith. It was a faith that passed some quizzes and exams, but failed others. But here we are now toward the end of his journey, and we see that his faith passes the final exam. Why? Because Abraham learned to trust God. How did Abraham have this faith? He, he had it developed over time. 
It's not that Abraham was called to go into this land of promise and have a son of promise, and then the next day, God requires this of him. No, 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 no. God took him on a journey of decades to grow his faith. How? Through testing. How? Through success. How? Through failure. And all along the way, God was working to build up his faith for this precise moment when he would lower the knife on his only son of the promise. And I just want to say this faith is absolutely amazing. The faith of Abraham to lower the knife. You say, you, you, you say, are you sure he had that faith? Was this not foolishness? No doubt, because some of you, especially if you're new to the Bible, you're new to, to human history here in terms of God's right interactions with, with the human race. Some of you are thinking, I don't know that I could believe in a God that asked someone to sacrifice his only begotten son. And I understand that. I'm going to come back to that in a moment. Just hold on to that thought. But for now, I want you to see the amazing faith of Abraham to do what God asked him to do. And there's evidence in the text that we examined that Abraham was absolutely going to lower the knife. And can I just tell you why he was going to lower the knife? Because he believed that God would bring Isaac back from the dead. That's how much faith this man had. He fully believed, think about that. For three days traveling with Isaac, getting to Moriah, walking up that hill with him, building the, 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 the wood stack that would contain the fire, tying his son to that altar, and then raising the knife. All of that is happening because Abraham, in his heart, listen to me, fully convinced that when he brings that knife down, God will raise his son up. That's why Abraham said to his servants who he left at the bottom of the mountain, we'll be back. Did you notice that when we read that? Abraham said, we will be back. Not I will be back. We will be back. And Abraham believed that God would not leave him without a son of the promise. The New Testament talks about this, Hebrews 11. Just, just, just blows my mind. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who'd received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son of the promise, Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. But... Here's why he did it. He reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. Paul says it like this in Romans 4. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. Everyone who comes to God in saving faith is truly the children of Abraham, right? And so he says, this is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. Now, all of this happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead to life, back to life, and who creates new things out of no thing. Abraham believed God was going to raise his son up from the dead. 
He had never known of anyone to be resurrected before. No one in human history up to this point had experienced a bodily resurrection. But yet Abraham believed that God would do it. And I know what you're thinking. No way I could do that. Hey, I'm with you. I know what you're thinking. I don't know if I could ever have a faith like that. Well, actually, let me intersect you there and just tell you this. You would have a faith like that if God puts you on the same faith journey and through the same faith testing that he did Abraham. Because Abraham's story is our story in this sense. God is going to give us in life a series of quizzes and exams to test our faith and grow our faith so that over the course of our lives, we learn to trust him more fully and rest in him more completely. It doesn't happen overnight. A persevering faith is an imperfect faith. And therefore, the goal for our faith in Jesus is not that it be perfect, but that it be enduring. And whether you're in a season of life where you've failed some tests or you've passed some tests, wherever you are, I guarantee you this, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can look back on your life and you can see that you are not the same person you were 5, 10, 15 years ago. You say, how is that the case? Because over those 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, God has tested you. He's grown you. He's stretched you so that you believe more fully and you hope more completely in him today than you did before. No one likes the tests, but they're necessary for our growth. And you see, Abraham finally, finally, he got here over the course of many years. Be encouraged in that. This wasn't an overnight thing, but he finally got to the place, listen to me, where he embraced what God said to Sarah, his wife, when she laughed about having this son of the promise. Abraham finally came to believe in his heart that there is nothing too wonderful for the Lord. He finally came to believe it and he finally came to embrace it fully faithfully so that he raised the knife to lower the knife because he believed in all of his heart that there is nothing too wonderful for the Lord. And even though he'd never known anyone to die and be brought back to life, he just knew in his heart that God would do it for Isaac because God said all of his descendants are coming through that promised son. And so... Here's the lesson for you and me. When God gives you a major exam, don't forget about what he's taught you in the quizzes. Don't forget about what he's taught you along the way. Don't forget about the way he's proven his faithfulness to you in this current season where you feel like you've got to pass a major test and it's painful or it's sorrowful. Oh, don't forget in the major exam, God's faithfulness to you in the quizzes. Because here's what God is doing in the tests. Here's what he's doing in the quizzes. Listen to me. He's not testing you to find out what you're made of. He's testing you so that you will find out what he's made of. Is there anything too wonderful for the Lord? 
God already knows what you're made of. He's testing you to prove to you what he's made of. And Abraham, over the course of many, many, many years, imperfectly, but enduringly, grew in his faith to the point that he came to believe that God would raise his son from the dead. Secondly, listen, listen here, here, here's, here's what God's teaching Abraham and ultimately us today. That a person, persevering faith is not only an imperfect faith, it's a faith tethered to the giver, not the gifts. This is another reason that Abraham is asked to sacrifice his son. We, 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 we look at his name, Isaac, which means laughter. We go back and we see several moments of laughing. We see Abraham, remember, bowing down the Lord and laughing over how God's going to do this thing that he's promised to do. Give a son to a man who's 100 and a woman who's 90. Sarah laughs, thinking there ain't no way God can do it. And then after Isaac is born and God proves to be faithful to these promises that he's made over the course of their lives together, Sarah laughs again saying, everyone now is going to laugh with me because of how good God is. And she says, we're going to name him Isaac. In fact, God said you're going to name him Isaac because God has a sense of humor. And like, you're... You're going to remember in your laughter by the very name of your son, my faithfulness to you. <laughs> and then when you look back at Genesis 21, there's a moment where you find another moment of laughter where there's a celebration for Isaac at his birthday party. I'm sure they were at Chuck E. Cheese or somewhere like that. And Ishmael, Abraham's son with Hagar, laughs at Isaac kind of tells a joke at his expense, kind of agitates him, and Sarah is furious. She's not about to let Isaac's half-brother get the best of her son. And she expels Hagar and Ishmael tells Abraham, you get rid of these people, they're never to come back. And that's exactly what Abraham does, although reluctantly. And there's kind of a third section of laughter where there's laughter at Isaac's expense. What do we see in Sarah? She can't handle it. Ain't nobody gonna laugh at her boy. And right after that, remember verse one of Genesis 22, after these things, God says to Abraham, you take that son and you take him to Moriah and you lower the blade. Here's what's happening. Abraham and Sarah love Isaac. You can only imagine. I mean, you talk about having a spoiled child. They waited 100 years for this boy. And Sarah, it seems, has kind of maybe gone a little overboard, at least in chapter 21, it seems that way. And, and Isaac, of course, is the center of their lives. He, he is a penultimate example of God's faithfulness to them. But, but here, I think, is what God's doing in part in their hearts as, as Isaac is about to be sacrificed. God's going to make sure that their faith remains tethered to the giver and not the gift itself. Because do you realize in life, there's a laughter when you don't hope. 
There is a laughter when you lose hope. It masks unrealized hope. Then there's a laughter when you realize what you've hoped for. But then listen to me carefully. There's a laughter when you put all your hope in what you've received. And God's going to work in your life to ensure that the gift never surpasses the giver and that your faith, your identity, your purpose in life is never tethered finally and completely to the gifts more than the giver. So let me ask you a question today. What is your Isaac? Who is your Isaac? What or who is it that in your mind you think, if I lost this one thing, I don't know how I would move forward in my life. Here's, here's how you find it. You ask yourself that question. If I were to lose this one thing, if I were to lose this something, I literally don't know that I could move forward in my life. And whatever you answer, that's the thing that threatens your faith tethering itself to the giver more than the gift. And we all have those tendencies. There are people in my life, there are things in my life I think, oh my goodness, I've ever lost that person or those people or that one thing. Man, I like moving forward in my life seems impossible to me. And, and therefore that's, that, that's the challenge. That's the challenge to ensure that I don't in some way tether God's faithfulness and God's goodness to the circumstances of what he's given more than the pure faithfulness of goodness of the one who's given them. And in some way, in Abraham's testing here with Isaac, it's, 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 it's not just about Abraham looking back at God's faithfulness in the past, although he does with amazing faith. It's also ensuring that moving forward, his heart is tethered to the one who gave Isaac as opposed to Isaac himself. And so God calls Abraham to give his very best. And so here's the thing. Do we trust God enough to give him our very best? Do we trust him as the giver more than the gifts? Do we, do, we, do we believe that through his goodness and faithfulness, that if we were to lose something of such value to us, that it seems crushing in the moment, that he will comfort, he will provide, he will come alongside of us in that moment and give the grace required to move forward? Do we really believe that God will be faithful and that God will bring to completion our faith journey, knowing, listen to me, that this world is not our home and this world is not all there is? Do we believe that today? Because these moments of testing come to us to promote perseverance, not perfection. These moments of testing come to us to tether our faith to the giver more than the gifts. And then finally, just make a note of this. Our persevering faith is made possible by a substitutionary sacrifice. And all that God is doing through our quizzes and exams is to bring us to a place where we understand we cannot pass without his help. And let me come back to that question. No doubt some of you have. I, I don't know that I could believe in a God who would, 
who would lead someone to sacrifice his one and only son. Well, here's the rest of the story. God stops Abraham. He doesn't allow him to lower the knife, even though Abraham fully intended to do so. Let me take you back to verse 11. At that moment, the angel of the Lord, again, that's Jesus. Anytime you see angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, that is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, yes, here I am. He says, do not lay a hand on the boy, the angel said, and do not hurt him in any way. For now I know that you truly fear God. Now I know that your faith rests with the giver more than the gift. For you have not withheld from me even your son, your only son of the promise. So Abraham looked up and he saw a ram caught by its horns in the thicket, which by the way, must have been the quietest ram in the history of the world who's ever been caught in a thicket. Because up to this point in time, Abraham didn't notice them. And I'm pretty sure that ram caught in the thicket wasn't quiet about it. Maybe he was just so focused on everything happening with Isaac, he looks and boom, there it is. And, um, and he takes the ram and he sacrificed it in place of his son. Let me just pause here quickly and just say, listen to me, dear ones. In those moments of testing when you're not sure if God is with you, you're climbing that mountain of sacrifice. You're carrying that deep burden. Do not forget that the same God who's testing you by causing you to climb one side of the mountain is also bringing up a ram on the other side. And you can't see it and you can't hear it, but your God is working. And so here's what Abraham did. Abraham named that place Yahweh Jireh, Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. And to this day, people still use that name as a proverb, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Now listen to me carefully. Everything that God has done in Abraham's life has been to bring him to this moment. And everything about this moment is connected to Abraham's persevering faith. That should be an encouragement to you. Everything about this moment is to ensure that his faith is tethered to the giver more than the gift. That ought to be a challenge to you. But everything about this moment is ultimately to point all of us to Jesus because that is what this whole thing has been all about. And the key question that Isaac asked, the whole narrative that we've examined today, the whole thing we've looked at, the key question asked by Isaac, Father, where is the lamb? And thousands of years later, John the Baptist answered that question in John 1:29 when he said, seeing Jesus coming to him, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There is the Lamb. This is the Lamb of Revelation 7 as this multitude of men and women of faith are finally joined to their Savior face to face, shouting together, salvation comes to us, right? from our God who sits on the throne and the lamb. Amen. This is the lamb. This is Jesus 
Because would God ask a man to give up his only son of the promise? No, God did not require that of Abraham. But you know what? God did it himself. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And everything about Isaac, listen to me carefully, is pointing us to Jesus. He was the son of prophecy and promise. His name was assigned to him before his birth. He was conceived miraculously. He was his father's only beloved son. He carried his own death device up a hill. He was offered as a sacrifice. He was received back from the dead and he was a blessing to the nations. Everything about Isaac is pointing us to Jesus. And therefore this whole faith journey of Abraham is meant to encourage you in your faith in God, first and foremost for salvation. Listen, if you're here this morning and you have never seen the guilt associated with your sin, your rebellion, your waywardness, your selfishness, and if you've never fully understood the weight of it, the gravity of it, if you've never understood we live in a broken, fallen world of death and decay and disease, all because of our sin and rebellion against the holy God, then you need to see that today. You need to feel that gravity today in this week. But more than that, you need to see that God so loved you that he provided his son as a sacrifice in our place. And just as he did with Isaac, where there was a ram there who was substituted for Isaac. Listen, there is a lamb that has been substituted for you and me. He is Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And if you've never trusted God through Jesus to save you from your sin, you need to nail that down today. That is the only hope you have in this world. That is the only way of salvation. Not religion, not works, not doing your best. I'll tell you, you want this hope that endures, you want this faith that perseveres, you find it only in Jesus and through his substitutionary sacrifice. I wanna encourage you to come today and receive this Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, he saved you one, two, 10, 20, 40, 50 years ago. Be encouraged. Listen to me, be encouraged because your God is Jehovah Jireh. Your God is the one who will continue to provide for all of your needs. I looked at that word this week. <laughs> I've had a lot of tests in Hebrew in my life because I'm weird. When you go back and you look at the Hebrew, the original language in which Moses penned this account, here's what you find. The word gyra doesn't mean provide. Throughout the Old Testament, when the word gyra is used, do you know what it means? It means to see. Some of you who are English teachers are saying, well, how do you get provide out of sea, I'll tell you how you get it. Jehovah Jireh is the God who will see to all the promises he has made. 
Jehovah Jireh is the God who will see to the needs of his children. Jehovah Jireh is the God who will see it done the way he has promised to get it done. Jehovah Jireh is the God who sees you. He sees your hurt. He sees your pain. He sees your grief. He sees your sorrow. He sees your struggle. And yet the God who sees is still the God who is faithful. And he is a God who will see to all that you need in whatever season you are in today. He is a God who provides. And whatever you're facing today, dear one, I want you to know this God loves you. Our God is with you. And he is gonna be faithful to every single promise he made. Whatever you face today, Jehovah Jireh will see you through. 